I told John, it's not often a sermon bumper gets you an applause, man. Come on, Johnny. I feel like Batman begins to start right now or something, right? Like, it's just a sermon, sorry. How many of you have ever done something for as long as you can remember, only to learn one day you've been doing it wrong the whole time? Uh, that was true for me when it came to tying my shoes. And I hate to admit it, it happened when I was 27 years old. No joke. Uh, most of us tie our shoes by taking that little loop, wrapping it above our thumb, right? Taking the, the bow and putting it in the hole and then, and then tying it. But did you know you're actually supposed to do it from underneath? Because underneath is a much stronger knot, actually can't come untied. If you have to try it right now, go ahead, just put your feet up right in front of you. And then, but you can't say that the pastor never gave you any beneficial information, right? I just told you how to tie your shoes so that they'll never come undone. I also remember discovering that for years and years and years, I have been ironing incorrectly. Uh, I hate when my clothes look like this, and I take great pride in having clean and crisp shirts, especially even my undershirts for that matter. Little, little weird, sorry, man card, here you go. Um, but for years, I ironed my shirts, especially at the end of the ironing board, at the awkward little oval end. I'm not sure about you, but it's super weird for a guy's shirt, especially doesn't fit real well. You have to constantly be moving it just a couple of inches at a time to get all the wrinkles. Then I walked in on a friend one time ironing his shirt, I kid you not, on the back end of the ironing board. The shirt fit perfectly, he had the shoulder in the right spot, the seam went down the edge, and I was like elated and angry all at the same time. How did I never know this? That is how you're supposed to iron your shirt. Well, in the story that we're going to continue looking at together this morning, God's people were in a similar position. They had been doing something for a certain way for a very long time, and someone comes on the scene and says, you're doing it all wrong. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Samuel 17 is the text that we are in. And in this text, God's people are literally camped out on this hillside here to my left. This is a place known as the Valley of Elah. And when I say that they're camped out, I'm not talking about lying around in hammocks or chilling outside the travel trailer. No, God's people are hunkering down on the hill because they're preparing to go to war. You see, across the valley, just on that other hill right there, the opposite hillside, is the Philistine army an enemy that God's people have been fighting for years and years and years. And in this text, 1 Samuel 17, they're about to go at it again. But as we read the text, oh, not much fighting is taking place. In fact, no one is fighting. Everyone's just standing in the valley, staring at one another. And here's why. Because for 40 days in a row, a giant of a man named Goliath, uh, the strongest, the fiercest, the bravest, and of course the hairiest of all the Philistines, uh, he has arrogantly walked down into the valley and he has proceeded to hurl insults at God's people. He's proceeded to, to yell at all of those who are assembled on the hillside. And he's called out and he's questioned their strength, uh, their manhood, their courage, even their God. You, the voice would have said through the valley, you are a bunch of pitiful little cowards. You're so weak over there. You're so anemic, so scrawny. You're like little girls, no worse, little dogs, just like your king and just like your pitiful, pathetic God. I know it and you know it, and that's why not a single one of you will come and fight me, the voice says. See, every day for over a month, this giant has issued the same challenge. 
a fight to the death between two men, one representative from each army. Everybody else can be spared. Everybody else can sit and watch. And whoever wins this mono mono match will in fact win the war for their entire country. Well, wouldn't you know it? Goliath is the one. He's the representative from the Philistine army. But no one has stepped forward for Israel. No one is proven to be strong enough or, or brave enough or courageous enough to stand up for God and fight on God's army. See, Goliath's massive size combined with all of his mocking words, they just completely demoralize everyone on this hillside. And no one is brave enough to fight. And many of us know exactly how that feels, don't we? See, the story of David and Goliath is not just a children's tale that we, that we hype up and, and dramatize during VBS for the kids. No, the story of David and Goliath is a very real depiction and description of many of our lives. Because every single one of us has or currently is facing some sort of challenge, some sort of problem, some sort of obstacle, some sort of roadblock, and it feels insurmountable. It feels unbeatable. It feels undefeatable. It could be a hurt for you. It could be a habit for you, a character flaw, a mindset, a, a difficult situation, a difficult person, a wound, a worry, a worry. But we all know what it feels like, right, to have someone or something stand in front of us and every morning insult us and taunt us and claim that it has power and authority over us. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear for some of you. Maybe it's fear of the future, fear of the worst case scenario coming true, fear of being called out, fear of being found out. Maybe every morning you wake up and you hear the voice of fear in the valley say, you, you. Maybe it's regret, regret about the things that you've done, the things that you've said, the people that you've hurt over the years. Maybe regret screams at you from across the way, you. Maybe it's an addiction, an addiction to a substance of some sort or a screen, maybe just to yourself. But every morning, this giant comes out and screams at you and taunts you, you. Maybe it's a heart that's hard. Maybe it's a spirit that is depressed. Maybe it's an obsession with stuff or comfort or ease. But the giant comes and says, you are too weak to overcome me. I don't know what it is for you. But I imagine that at one point in time or at this very moment in time, there's a giant standing in your way, a Goliath of sorts a modern-day Goliath, and day after day, he taunts and he takes. Because that's what giants always do. They taunt and then they take. They taunt you and then they take your joy. They taunt you and then they take your comfort. They, they taunt you and then they take your, your time with your family. They taunt you and they take your trust in God. They taunt and they take. They always have and they always will. And every day, as each day passes, the giant gets bigger and a little bolder and a little more brash. You are weak and you know it, and I know it, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And like in 1 Samuel 17, time, uh, it's not just helping, it's not just going away over time, right? Every day, more and more time passes, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. The giant continues to have his way. The giant continues to stand in your way. And without even lifting a finger, the giant in your life, just like he did on those, those thousands of men on that hillside, he's completely demoralizing you. He has defeated you. You haven't even started the fight yet. And I believe that that happened on that day in that valley, and it continues to happen today in our own lives because we get some things wrong. And it's a lot worse than tying your shoes incorrectly or not ironing your shirt on the right side of the ironing board. We've got to get these things right or else 
will never win this fight. The first thing God's people got wrong that day was that they focused on the power of their giant. They were so focused on the power of their giant. You can see this throughout the story in and through the language that they used to describe Goliath. Look at a couple of these verses with me. 1 Samuel 17, 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath. Okay, they're telling us a lot in this statement. Goliath is not a rookie. He's not some novice. He's not some backup player who rode the bench. The guy is the champion. He's the undefeated champion. He's never lost a fight. So that's how it works. When you fight to the death, you're either undefeated and the champion or you're dead. And this guy is the undisputed champion of crushing people and their dreams. I imagine his title belts are hanging on the other hillside. This is not Goliath's first rodeo. He's done this before. Plus, he's from Gath. That should mean something to us. That means he's the descendant of a whole line of giants. First Chronicles 20, we're given the names of some of his ancestors. And as they list off the names of these characters, it sounds like you're watching a Lord of the Rings movie. There's Sabake, Sipe, Elena, Lammy. There's even a gargantuan fighter who has six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. I'm sure Bruce Banner is on that list somewhere. I just didn't see it. But see, the gene pool Goliath came from, it's a bunch of giants. He is a champion giant from a long line of giants. And look at this guy. 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 7. He's over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. And his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor. He carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spear that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. You see this language they're using? So he's the champion from Gad. Plus, just look at the guy. I mean, it's it's crazy. He's close to 10 feet tall. His armor weighs more than Pastor Nathan. His weaponry is 10 times thicker than normal. And his shield is so massive, he needs a personal assistant to just carry the shield. This is a bad dude. And I I get it. I appreciate the descriptive language of Goliath. And I think all these, these words and numbers and measurements, they add to the story, right? They make it a little bit more dramatic. But the Israelites had it all wrong. They were focusing on the power of their giant. And that's what most of us do, isn't it? We look at the problems that we're facing or the obstacles that are standing in our way or the, the habits that are dragging us down and we think about them or, or, we, or, we, or we describe them or we view them in these crazy, larger-than-life, grandiose kind of ways. Over the years as a pastor, I have heard people say these things. I've always struggled with this. I will never get past it. I can't ever see how the situation will get any better. People don't change like that, Thomas. You don't know my past. There's no one who would ever love me again. It's what my family has always done, the only example I ever had. It doesn't even matter anymore. It doesn't matter how how hard I work. Nothing's going to change. This is going to cost me way too much. What you're asking for, God, is way too radical. You know what I call all of that? Focusing on your giant. You're focusing on your giant. 
And I get it. Giants are big. Giants are ugly. Giants are intimidating, right? Giants are, are over nine feet tall. They carry 125 pounds in, in armor. They have really sharp spears. That's why we call them giants. But Goliath was just a man. And yet they're describing him like he's a god. They're describing him in these larger-than-life kind of ways, but that's just not true. You can take his life, but when you start to describe him in these, in these dramatic ways, you don't think he is just like you, but he is. He's just a little bit bigger than you. See, people forget that Goliath, he wasn't born Goliath. He wasn't born a giant. And if he was born a giant, the real person we should fear in this whole story is his mama. You give birth to a 285-pound, 9-ounce baby, 118 inches long, no one's going to mess with you. But Goliath was just a person. Sure, he was a very big person. Sure, he was a very strong person. But he was just a person, which means he had his limitations, which means he was finite, which means he could be defeated. But I get it. I, I, know, I know it's hard to not focus on his size. I know it's hard to not, to not focus on, on the, the pounds of armor he's carrying. I know it's hard to not look at the, 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 the shape of his spear. And I know for you, it's hard. It's hard to not think that this has been a part of your life forever, that it's always going to be a part of your life. I know that it's hard to not focus on the fact that the situation you're in right now is, is really demanding and really depressing. I know right now it's really hard to not think that you're never going to get through this or never get past this. I know it's really hard to not think the future looks so bleak or that, that you feel so alone. I know it's hard, but stop focusing on your giant. You're focusing way too much on your giant. His strength and his size are impressive, but only when you compare them to your own. Nine feet tall is huge when you compare it to six feet. 125 pounds of armor is, is crazy when the average guy was carrying 25 pounds. A, a sharp spear, it, it's, it's really scary when yours is kind of dull, but you don't compare your giant against yourself because then he looks way bigger than he really is. Instead of looking at that which is bigger than us, we have to look at that which is bigger than the giant. You with me? So many of us are so zeroed in and focused on the giant. And if I asked you, you could tell me how tall he is, how much weight he's carrying around, how sharp his spear is, how thick the javelin is. I mean, how do they know that? Because they're so obsessed by the giant. They're so focused on the giant. They can't see anything else. Yet somebody comes to the story. Someone comes in the story that changes all of that. 1 Samuel 17 continues. One day Jesse said to David, his youngest son, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and, and bring back a report on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David left his sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse, his father, had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other in the valley, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried off to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, there we go again, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him, his shout. He heard his shout, his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. 
He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife. The man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. David asked a soldier standing nearby, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? When David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to them and he was angry, what are you doing around here anyway, boy? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done? David replied. I was just asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. A little shepherd boy named David is sent by his father to this battlefield that we were talking about before, and he's sent more or less to check on his brothers. He's got several older brothers. The dad wants to know how it's going at the battle. And David is more or less a water boy. I mean, it could be even worse. He's the bread and cheese boy. I kind of like to have one of those around the church, like, yes, more cheese, please. But he's the bread and cheese boy. He goes to the battlefield carrying bread and cheese. This poor little guy, it's so embarrassing, I bet. And wouldn't you know it, the very moment that he's, that he's handing out the bread and cheese, Goliath, the giant, shows up. And the text says he starts strutting around and taunting God's people again. David, the bread and cheese boy, hears the trash talking and he thinks to himself, are you serious right now? Who is this overgrown ape that he would talk like that to us? Then Goliath starts openly insulting and it says defying God, and something snaps in David. It would be like if you asked a new mom, a sleep-deprived new mom, what's for dinner when you came home from golfing? (laughs) That's the kind of snap that I think would probably happen here. But David says, did that joker, did that fool just call our God weak? Did he literally just say he's bigger than our God? Why Why is nobody fighting this fool? Why is nobody standing up to prove him wrong? It says David's oldest brother gets mad because David's acting so tough. And I love the question. You just came here to see a battle, the brother says. A battle you aren't fighting. You're too scared to fight, brother. You think you're engaged in a battle, but you've already lost the battle. The giant has totally defeated you. And I love that David, when describing Goliath, he doesn't tell us how tall he is. He doesn't care how much weight he's carrying. He doesn't care how sharp the spear is. Who is that Philistine pagan? You see, he sees him according to the appropriate size. David, in that moment, more or less said what every teenager in the 2000s said. Whatever. Right? Did you see the giant, the champion from Gath? Whatever. Because I'm not focused on the giant. See, he comes on the scene, this young David, and he says, you're focusing on the power of the giant because you're forgetting about the power of your God. You're focusing on the power of your giant and you're forgetting about the power of your God. And these two things always go hand in hand, don't they? You can't boast about the strength of your giant and in the same breath boast about the strength of your God. You can only do one or the other. You can't tell me how tall uh, Goliath is and how good God is in the same breath. 
You either revere the giant and render God powerless, or you revere God and you render the giant powerless. And young David, of all the people in the story, the bread and cheese boy comes and says, have you, have you all lost your mind? Have you forgotten who we serve? Have you forgotten who our God is? Have you forgotten what our God is capable of? He uses the phrase, we serve the living God. The God who literally spoke all of creation, all of the cosmos into existence in six days. And on the seventh, he kicked his feet up and watched some TV. That's the living God. The living God, do you, do you not remember? He defied all 10 of the Egyptian gods just years ago. He showed he was superior to all of the gods that were in Egypt. Do you not remember the living God? He split the waters of the Red Sea. They were trapped. They were going to die, but instead they walked through on dry ground, and he used that sea to free them and kill all their enemies. The living God the one who walked us through the wilderness, who miraculously provided food and water, shelter and safety for years for us. The living God who went before us in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A God who took us into a promised land. Do you not remember, young David says. And David doesn't simply recount stories of, of God that he's heard over the years. Go back and read the text. He talks about how God has been faithful to him in his own life over the years and throughout the years. So King Saul brings him and says, why, why do you think you can fight Goliath? Look at you. And David says, no, no, it's not about me. Don't look at me. Look at what God has done in me over the years. See, as I was a shepherd over the years, a lion would come. I killed the lion with my bare hands. And then a bear came one night and I killed the bear with my bare hands. Pun intended. My bare hands. Ah whole new meaning to that phrase now, right? He says, God has been so faithful to me in my life. God is always bigger than every giant I've ever faced, and it won't be different right now. It won't be any different right now. It's as if David walks onto the scene, and, and he sees Goliath, he sees the giant, and he relishes this moment. He's like, yes, another opportunity for God to do it again. Because he's not focused on the giant He's focused on his God. The young shepherd boy shows up on the scene and says, you're trying or, or you're tying your shoes incorrectly, guys. You're ironing your shirt all wrong. More importantly than that, you are fighting this giant incorrectly. That is not how you fight. Hundreds of years before the verse is even penned, David lives out the words, Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who could ever stand against us? Nine feet tall, that's nothing compared to God. He's taller than the highest heavens, the scripture says. 125 pounds of armor, that's nothing compared to God. He holds the entire world in his hands. Sharp spears, a shield-carrying assistant, that's nothing compared to God. He's the bright morning star, and he calls out every star each night by name. We forget about the power of the God we serve. And so we just look at the giant. Man, he's so big. Yeah, compared to you. But did you forget that you have a God? who's so much bigger than him. We tend to think we have to overcome these giants alone with whatever strength or energy we can muster up. That's why nothing has happened for many of you. You're so focused on your giant and you think the fix is in yourself. 
Just more prayer, a little bit more diligence, stricter boundaries, uh, more showing up to church, like better dedication. Just don't look at that website. Just don't talk to my mom after she's had a drink or two. Like this this is what's going to help the situation. Really? The giant is so much bigger than you. But God is so much bigger than the giant. Hebrews 12, two hit me like a ton of bricks. I already shared it with you this morning, but let me share it with you one more time. We do this, all that I'm talking about, by keeping, and the scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Look at this language. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Okay, they've got a champion from Gad over there. I could care less about the champion from Gad. I'm not going to look at him anymore. I'm going to look at the champion from heaven. That's the champion I want to fix my eyes on. Oh, Goliath was probably a sight to see. I don't want to look at you anymore, Goliath. I want to look at my champion. I love what Bob Goth says. Go ahead and stare at Jesus. It's not impolite. (laughs) You can tell your kids it's okay to stare at him. Stop focusing your eyes on the Philistine champion. Start focusing your eyes, fixing your eyes on our champion. Look at what Colossians 2.15 says. In this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them. He shamed the giants publicly by his victory over all of them on the cross. The way you gain victory over your giant isn't trying harder. The way you gain victory over your giant is by trusting more. You have to trust Jesus. You have to trust that what happened on the cross means something for you right now. You have to trust that what happened on the cross has significance for your life right now in this moment. You have to believe and trust that what happened on the cross somehow disarmed all the giants that are standing in your way. Christianity is not just a God, uh, thanks for saving me back then. I've got it kind of figured out now. It's a God, I needed you to save me then, and I need you to save me right now from all the things that are trying to tear me apart. Save me, God. So this week, I want you to lean into Jesus, and I want you to spend time with Jesus. I want you to surrender things to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stop looking at your giant. Look at Jesus. Look at the one who gives you victory, not the one who's claiming you're already defeated. Are you with me, friends? Let me end real fast. We'll get you out of here with two pictures and two verses. First picture is this on the left. If I showed you this, chances are you'd be a little terrified. At least I would be. I hate snakes. And this one looks pretty nasty, pretty, pretty ugly, right? Pretty detrimental to my health and well-being. But you, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're only looking at half the picture. Because here's the rest of the picture. The dude's head's been cut off. And I'm not mad about it either. Good riddance. But you see, if you were just to fix your eyes on the one half of the picture, you'd be thinking incorrectly. Because that's not the entirety of the picture. You'd only be looking at the head of the snake. Well, let me show you the whole picture. The thing's been cut off. And right now, many of your lives, you're looking at your problem and you're not looking at it in light of the fact that Jesus has given you victory over your problem. You're not looking at the picture in its entirety to see the head of your snake has been cut off. The promise was made in Genesis that a descendant of Adam, one called Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent. Your giant, oh yeah, he's got an ugly head and if you were just to stare right in those beady eyes, be like, bah! But his head's been cut off, y'all. 
And we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks, then why, why do I still struggle with depression or with, with drinking? Or, or why am I still angry at what happened in my past? Or why can't I get or forgive my, my abusers, right? Why has that so much power over me if it's dead, if its head's really cut off? Why is it such a struggle still? We'll talk about that. But this morning we start with the entirety, with the whole picture. Fix your eyes on the whole picture. Jesus did this for you. In whatever situation you're facing, he did this for you on the cross. He rendered your giant powerless. And we'll read in a little while, and our David comes and literally cuts the head off of our Goliath. Oh, I love that. Yes. Two verses. I want these to become what you pray and think about all week. 2 Peter 1.3, by his divine power, not yours, not your pastor's, not a great book, by God's divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. You have everything you need because of Jesus right now to get through and get past this giant. And in Luke 10, 19, look, Jesus says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. His head's cut off. Don't worry about him anymore. Stop living in fear of this giant and start living in victory. Amen? Let's pray and we'll get you out of here. God, thank you for who you are, that you are a giant slaying God and that you don't leave it up to us or ask us to prove ourselves and, and to kill our own giants and the strongest will succeed. Only those who overcome their giants will make it to heaven. That's not the gospel story at all. The gospel story is that life is a giant and we just can't get through it. It's just so hard. It's just so overwhelming. And you send someone to us in the person of Jesus and he kills the giant for us. And now we just have to walk in victory. Now we get to walk across that valley as victors, God. But, but we do play a part in this. But help us this morning to just focus on what Jesus did, not what we have to do. That he came to our rescue. He came to our aid. And that somehow at the cross, God, we don't even understand how it all works. We can't even fathom it, make sense of it. But somehow on the cross, every giant was defeated forever. Every obstacle, every hurdle, every sin, every problem, every, every break, God, everything was defeated at the cross. And so now we want to live as victors. Forget Goliath. Forget him. And help us to be like David, Paul, others, who fixed their eyes on you and not the giants. Yeah, help us to look at you this week, Jesus, and help us to gain victory over the things standing in our way. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Have an amazing day. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. Take care. God bless you guys.